welcome to the Menstrual Mental Health Podcast. I'm Mary Nordahl, and I'm here to help you get the most out of life and teach you everything I've learned as a certified fertility awareness instructor with a bachelor's in clinical psychology. And on this podcast, I'll be sharing the menstrual mindset shifts you need to become the best version of yourself and finally live the life of your dreams. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in your day. How are you doing? I am currently sitting in my office with the window open. It's August summertime and yet it feels like fall today and I love autumn so much. And you know, this whole idea that you can't have background noise while you're recording a podcast is just pogwash to me. So if you hear a bird chirping in the background, that's because I am living my best life with the window open, recording this podcast, talking to you about the 10 things to know about your cycle. I love recording these little introductory episodes of just wetting your palate in understanding just the basics about your menstrual cycle. Because I sometimes take this knowledge for granted until I talk to you in the DMs and I realize that much of what I know as a certified fertility awareness instructor is not common knowledge to you. So I want to spill the beans and tell you everything that you've been curious about in terms of your period, cervical mucus, BBT, what your cycle is supposed to look like from now until menopause, and so, so, so much more. I want to just dive right in. There's no introduction really other than we are just about to roll up our sleeves and get into the nitty gritties of your cycle and clarifying a lot of the confusion that you might have around what's going on with your period, what happens in between periods, all that fun stuff. This is a great episode to tack on to episode one if you haven't listened to that one yet. Episode one, I really give you a breakdown on how ovulation works and how it impacts your mental health. And this is just going to get a little bit more nitty gritty. So the first thing that you should know about your cycle is that your period should last anywhere from three to seven days. That is a sign of a healthy period. However, if you have spotting prior to your period and you're accounting that for the total length of your period, that is going to be a no-no in my book, and I'll tell you why. Spotting prior to an actual flow where you're using a pad, tampon, cup, thinks, whichever is your preferred product, if you have just a little bit here and there before you have a real turn on the faucet type of flow, that can be an indicator of a hormonal imbalance, specifically can indicate low progesterone. If you would like a breakdown of that science of what that actually means, episode one is going to be where you want to refer to. 
So your period length from the moment that the faucet turns on until the moment where the faucet kind of slows down and there is a normal healthy spotting at the tail end of your period should be three to seven days. That's a healthy period. Now, when we're looking at the entire length of your cycle, this is where I'm really gonna blow your mind. This is point number two on 10 things to know about your cycle. Oh my goodness, are you ready? Like we are, we are coming out the gate with this information here. I'm gonna rock your world by what your doctor has been telling you, what society has been telling you about the length of your cycle. <laughs> okay, so here it is. Many times when I talk to you in the DMs, the first thing, one of the first things that you tell me is my cycle from period to period is X number of days. And all of a sudden, my period is late. <laughs> you have been told wrong. You have been told so wrong. Your period is never late. Haha, <laughs> your period is always on time. Say what, Mary? What are you saying? Are you crazy? Are you off your rocker, Mary? Your period is never late. What is actually delayed, what is late, is ovulation. <laughs> You're definitely going to want to listen to episode one to understand this in the full capacity. But what happens is, as soon as your period is over, your hormones start amping up to do their job. Your body is made to ovulate in order to get pregnant. Whether you want to get pregnant or not, it is solely designed to do that. And all of the processes in your body support that. So if you are stressed, if you aren't eating well, if you're not sleeping well, if you're exercising too much, your body says, mmm, put the brakes on that ovulation process. We can't do our job. And so ovulation takes just a little bit longer than usual. So if you're traveling, if you're sick, any kind of internal or external stressor, if you're not taking care of your body, ovulation is going to take a little bit longer than usual. But then as soon as ovulation happens... There is a set number of days from the time ovulation occurs until the time that your period happens. That is called your luteal phase. Your luteal phase length is set in stone, baby. And if you know how to track your cycle with your cervical mucus and BBT, you can tell until like the day. It'll vary by like a day or two, okay? It's not like total exact science, but you can tell for certain like, yeah, it's going to happen within this time frame. And you're not going to be worried that your period is late because you know that ovulation was delayed, not your period. It is the biggest aha moment with my students when they learn that, that they no longer have to fear or say that my period is late because as soon as they can tell when ovulation has occurred and they've learned how to track their peak day, then they know that their period is coming in X number of days. It's super cool. It's so empowering to know. 
Now, point number three, I want to dive just a little bit into PMS. For a deeper dive into that, episode five is going to be your best bet. It's a little rough around the edges, but I promise you it is one of my most popular episodes as per anchor ratings that I've noticed. So PMS, and what I mean by that is anything physical or emotional that you might be experiencing. So that could be acne, breast tenderness, cramps, cravings, fatigue, nausea, weight gain, feeling bloated, anxiety, inability to focus, insomnia, mood swings, social withdrawal, any of that. And that is quite a mixed bag that women have to deal with month after month, isn't it? And it sucks. And there are so many TikToks and reels that make fun of and make light of this situation where as soon as puberty hits until the moment our period ends in menopause, this is just this burden that we have to carry. In episode five, I break that myth (laughs) and I shut it down, baby, because PMS is common, but it's not normal. When we're looking at it on a scale of one to 10, where 10 is like severe, you don't wanna go to work, you just wanna lie in bed all day, you don't wanna be near people. Mm, Yeah, you really wanna be at like a level one with PMS, where you're kind of like, huh, oh, well, my period's coming tomorrow. Or like the menstrual cycle I just had where I didn't even have any PMS. I had two tiny little pimples that popped up right around my lips and then my period came and that was it. That is a sign of a healthy menstrual cycle and also a sign that you are healthy because PMS really is just letting you know that your body is off kilter. It's out of balance, it's out of whack. It's your body's way of telling you that you're not taking care of yourself. PMS stands for prioritizing myself. And that can be interpreted in so many ways because PMS, when you're in the depths of this emotional time of your cycle, it's encouraging you to prioritize self-care time, setting boundaries, not being around people. That's okay to do that, which I talk about in my last episode, episode nine. But it also is helping you to prioritize your health. When you prioritize good nutrition, balanced meals, eating every four to five hours, getting good sleep, going to bed at a good hour, getting good exercise, All of these things support your body. They prioritize your health so that your PMS doesn't come raging at you in the days leading up to your period and saying, what the heck? You didn't take care of me? Like, what is going on here? Can you please prioritize your body? Prioritize your menstrual health and your mental health and bam, PMS goes away. You don't have to carry that burden for four to five decades of your life. That's ridiculous. (sighs) Why are you letting yourself deal with that? You deserve to feel really good in your body. You literally deserve the best. Learning to decrease PMS 
is the gateway drug to living a healthy lifestyle and finally having that exercise routine that you want. It gives you that motivation to go to bed early. It gives you that desire to eat well so that you no longer have to deal with PMS and feel really good in your body. And the next four things that I wanna tell you about your cycle are the four main biomarkers that you use to chart, that you observe when you're charting your cycle as a form of natural birth control or even just to monitor your health. So the next four points are, I wanna talk to you about cervical mucus, basal body temperature, LH testing, and cervical position. Those are the four main biomarkers, four main fertility signs that let us know where we are in relation to our probability of getting pregnant. But they're also main signs for letting us know our health status, kind of piggybacking on what we were saying about PMS and how PMS lets us know how healthy we are. Our fertility signs also indicate to us how well we're taking care of our body. So it's super cool. Our body is communicating to us through these biomarkers. The first one being cervical mucus, or if you prefer the term cervical fluid, they're used interchangeably depending on your stomach for the term. A really great website that I like to direct my students to is cervicalmucus.org. That is my favorite resource if you have the stomach for looking at pictures and videos of other women's cervical mucus as a comparison and guide for what different types of cervical mucus looks like. And essentially what this functions as is a way for helping sperm to be transported from the vaginal canal through the cervical canal, up through the uterus, through the fallopian tube, and delivered right to the egg when it ruptures the ovarian wall at the point of ovulation. Bam, it's so cool. The most popular cervical mucus that we hear about is that stretchy kind where you know that you're fertile and it's helping the sperm to swim, but there is also a different type of cervical mucus that blocks the entrance to the uterus so that sperm can't get in. When you learn to differentiate the two between your fertile mucus and your infertile mucus, that's when you learn how to be able to use cervical mucus as a form of natural birth control. I'm not just making that stuff up. It comes from studies that were done by a scientist called Dr. Odeblad, which I can never say his name without making fun of it. I'm sorry, Dr. Odeblad, but you are just a funny guy. <laughs> and I appreciate the research that you did on the different types of cervical mucus, their qualities and their functionality, man. It's so cool. All right. So now I'm done geeking out. The next biomarker that I want to tell you about is basal body temperature. So yes, this is different than the temperature that you take when you're trying to figure out if you have a fever. Basal body temperature is your at rest temperature, which is observed best during sleep or essentially as soon as you wake up. What happens is the egg that has grown during the follicular phase is released through the ovarian wall at the point of ovulation. But what remains in the ovary is the remaining follicle tissue that is then turned into the corpus luteum. 
and the corpus luteum produces a hormone called progesterone, which is a heat-inducing hormone. Someone figured that out along the way, that progesterone bumps your temperature up just enough, and when you take your basal body temperature, your at-rest temperature, you can see that slight shift that happens when progesterone is present in your body. You can take your basal body temperature either orally with a digital thermometer that's specifically for basal body temperature, or I love to use my temp drop. It's a device that is in an armband and I slip it on my arm and put it essentially right inside my armpit, as close to my armpit as possible. And there's a temperature sensor in this armband that takes my temperature throughout the night. And it's really great for women who are breastfeeding, night shift workers, have sporadic sleep schedules, or just don't want to take their temperature at the same time every day. That's what makes oral BBT readings the most reliable, is taking it at the same time every day within the hour window. In order to take it reliably, you can't talk to your partner as soon as you wake up, you don't wanna get up to pee, you basically don't wanna do anything other than let your alarm go off, take your temperature, and then if you wanna go back to sleep, go for it. If you're interested in learning more about Temp Drop, you're welcome to shoot me a message on Instagram. I do have a coupon code for that. T as in Tom, D as in Donna, F as in fertility, A as in awareness, P as in paper. <laughs> it's supposed to be path, but I know that that can sound kind of funky over radio podcast waves. And then the number 10. And you get a pretty good percentage off of your purchase. And the way that I see it is the temp drop can look like a large investment at first, but when you spread it out over the course of the next two decades that you'll be wearing it and using it, it pays for itself over time. And it is my favorite device. It's great to have as part of the symptothermal method. So sympto being the cervical mucus and thermal being your temperature. The third biomarker is LH testing. This is commonly referred to as ovulation test strips. We tend to hear about women using this when they're trying to get pregnant. It's really helpful for pinpointing your exact fertile window. What happens is ovulation test strips test for a surge of LH or luteinizing hormone, which is the main hormone that causes ovulation. LH surges 24 to 36 hours before ovulation. So when you see a positive LH test, a positive ovulation test strip, that lets you know that you're the closest to the point of ovulation. And so that's when, if you're trying to conceive, that is going to be the ideal time to have the little spermy guys waiting at the door of the ovarian wall so that they're ready to jump into action and fertilize that egg. The final biomarker is cervical position. This absolutely blows my mind. After menstruation, FSH, follicle-stimulating hormone in the brain, calls up the ovary and says, yo, it is time. And a bunch of eggs, a bunch of follicles, start to compete with each other to become the dominant egg. 
And once that dominant egg has been chosen, it starts to grow and mature. While that egg is growing, estrogen is also rising at the same rate. Estrogen does a lot of stuff. It thickens the uterine lining, it stimulates cervical mucus, and it also opens up your cervix. So right around the time of ovulation, your cervix will go from this firm, closed, low position, and then estrogen will cause it to soften, open up, and rise. It basically just opens the gates. Open the gates and seize the day. Yes. It's so cool that our body is like, oh, yeah, we're trying to get pregnant here. Let's just make it a little bit easier for them spermy guys to get on in. (laughs) So when you are adding a fourth biomarker to your chart and trying to understand where you are in relation to the fertile window, it's helpful to understand the difference between when the cervix is closed and when the cervix is open. So that concludes the four different biomarkers. Point number eight that I wanna tell you in the 10 things to know about your cycle is the reproductive continuum. This is one of the coolest things that I love about FEM, which certified me. FEM stands for Fertility Education and Medical Management. FEM does a really good job of breaking down each phase of your reproductive continuum. Basically, how you move from childhood to puberty to reproductive age to menopause. And that entire process means that your menstrual cycle and your ability to conceive changes throughout your lifetime. I wanna give you a very quick overview of what this continuum looks like. You typically hit early reproductive stage puberty around 10 to 13 is when you got your first period. From that age, from the moment you get your first period until age 20, your period, your cycles are expected to be irregular. It is healthy and normal. It's expected that your time from period to period, the length of your cycles are going to vary. You're supposed to have irregular cycles. So that's why it absolutely cracks me up and I am just floored at the intelligence levels of OBGYNs these days where teenagers walk into their office and say, I'm having irregular cycles and they're prescribed the pill to give them a regular period, which actually is not a period because it's a it's not a true period when you're on the pill. But I have talked to so many women who years later at 25, 30 years old, they're finally getting off the pill. And I say, oh, why were you originally prescribed the pill? And it's because they had quote unquote irregular cycles, but it's supposed to be irregular because your body is figuring out how to cycle through. It's amping up. It's getting into a rhythm. It's like when you get into the car on a cold winter day, your car needs some time to warm up. It's the same thing with your body and your hormones. So during ages 21 through 37, which is probably where you are, that is your peak or mid-reproductive years where your cycles are supposed to be regular. 
So points one, two, and three that I discussed at the very beginning of this podcast, that is what your cycle should look like. Any derivative of is abnormal for the age range that you're in. It should be a regular predictable cycle with little PMS because the more PMS you have, the harder it's going to be to get pregnant. Then from age 38 to 42 are your later reproductive years where your cycles start to slow down and your fertility starts to decline. Your cycles are still going to be generally regular, but you'll have pockets of infertility. That is, again, normal and healthy and expected. Then from age 43 until menopause is when fertility is rapidly declining, and we expect periods to be very irregular, especially in late premenopause, where you're going months in between periods. When your period has finally stopped for 12 months for an entire year, that's when you have officially reached menopause. Funny story, we were visiting with my husband's grandmother recently, and I had to lay down because I was on my period. I wasn't feeling well, and she was headed out the door, and so I went to go say goodbye, and she goes, oh, you're not feeling well? It's like, oh, no, I have my period. You remember what that's like? She goes, oh, after a while, when you haven't had your period, you kind of forget that you used to have periods. So there's some light at the end of the tunnel there. Although with the work that I've done in learning about my menstrual cycle, there's a part of me that gets a little sad thinking about not cycling through because I've really learned to love and embrace each phase of the cycle, which leads me into point number nine, which is that the menstrual cycle has really provided for me a structure in understanding myself and my mental health. But what I love about the cycle is that there's four unique phases and with each phase brings its own experience and energetics. When I learned about my menstrual cycle and the different phases and how they impact my mood and my energy levels, it was a total game changer. When I then learned how to cycle sync and align my food and my exercise and my socialization and my work with my cycle phases, that's when my life dramatically shifted. And that's why I devote myself to this work because it changed my life. And I've already seen so many women's lives changed by it. My students' lives have been so impacted by just this knowledge and awareness of the deep science of their cycle and how they can work with their hormones instead of working against it. And this is why my final point to you, number 10 of the things to know about your cycle is actually going to be a piece of homework. And that is to start observing your menstrual cycle. Take the information that you've learned in this episode and start paying attention to your cervical mucus. Go out and find a basal body thermometer and start taking your temperature every morning. Go find some LH tests. Pregmate has a great ovulation test strip. Start taking your LH test during your fertile window. Start checking your cervical position and get to know your body more. I also love to encourage the easiest way to start tracking your cycle and learning about your body 
is just to track your mood and your energy levels. So adding it to your evening bedtime routine, where just before you go to bed and you turn in for the night, pop into a notes app on your phone or add it to your journaling routine and write in your overall mood and energy levels of the day. The first day of your cycle is the first day of your period. And just number the days of your cycle, cycle day one, cycle day two. I usually do CD1, CD2. And you'll start to see a pattern emerge where you feel and think and act a certain way depending on the cycle day. So there's your homework. A little action-oriented piece because many times we will sit and listen to these podcasts and absorb information and then carry on with your day and do nothing with it. And I wanna encourage you to apply it. Be different than most listeners. Be extraordinary. Take this information and use it in your life because you've clearly tapped on this episode because you're looking to learn something that's going to better your life. And it's gonna take a little extra effort to do what an ordinary person does, which is to not track their cycle, you're different. You listened to this entire episode. Maybe you even took notes because you're that extra. And I know that you have the capacity to apply this information and see how dramatically it can shift your life just by understanding more about your menstrual health and your mental health. See you next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you found it supportive in your healing journey, I'd love to hear what resonated with you the most. Hop on over to Instagram and search at fertilityawareness.path to connect with me today. I look forward to hearing all about your goals and dreams, and I'll see you on the next episode of menstrual mental health.